Hello, and welcome to the on Leadership with Eric Rosecrans, today's guest. Um, Eric, I am so excited to talk with you today. When you come to us from beautiful, sunny Florida, as opposed to our shared hometown of Chicago. So very smart of you to be in Florida in February. hundred <laughs> uh, percent. Already showing how genius you are <laughs> and prioritizing what's important. Uh, yes, and I know how to manage a calendar to allow me to do it. Right, exactly. Love flexible work. Um, awesome. Well, Eric, for those of you who don't know me, I am Beth Napleton. I am an expert in helping leaders and mission-driven organizations remove obstacles to reaching their goals. So I do that through coaching, through consulting, through retainer-based work, through day-long kind of intensive transformations. Um, and I am excited. I think about leadership. I love thinking about leadership. And I invite each week a guest from my life who I learned a lot about leadership from. And Eric, this week it's you who I've certainly learned a lot about leadership from. So Eric grew up, for those of you who don't know him or are new to Eric, he grew up in Ohio and is a proud Buckeye. Is that a fair statement? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. You're OU. You're OU. OU. See, there, I'm keeping you on your toes, making sure you're listening. <laughs> I know, right? But you look at candies, Buckeyes. You, I, you, I feel like you have brought me some Buckeyes from Ohio, right? The little yes, candy ones? Yes, yes. Yes. Very important. I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you that one time, but that's okay. It. All right. Never again. Never again. You know. <laughs> um, so after college, Eric joined Teach for America as a core member, teaching eighth grade English in the Bronx for two years. Um, and then joined full-time staff at Teach for America, where he was for nearly eight years doing a million roles. I mean, Eric, I think that's probably where we met for the first time. It be the 2009 Institute-ish season. Would that have been right? Yes, that's when I started. Yeah. So I think that it was probably some sort of crazy institute visit where both of us were running around with our heads cut off like a chicken, <laughs> being like, it's like institute. Yeah. There were there were definitely massive spreadsheets attached to my mind to the name Eric Rosecrans. It was like, and here's a uh, spreadsheet. I feel like you were doing risk management work at the time. And and now that we've worked together so much more, you understand that I actually have like a very healthy tolerance for risk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In a way um, that I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that, uh, that I was like, Beth, why are you being a rebel and not filling out any of the spreadsheets that we need you to fill out? <laughs> Eric, because I'm the like a true rebel. That's my role <laughs> as the leader. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. But you did a million jobs there. You were in finance. You did uh, communication stuff. You did risk management stuff, institute operations. Um, finally, working in the office of the COO, kind of supporting strategy and special projects. And then I believe that is the point in the story where our dear friend Shannon Donnelly, who was on, I think actually just last week, uh, yes. stole you away. She was wooing you, recruiting you. And I believe you signed a contract at Universal Studios or perhaps in Orlando on a trip. Yes. He was, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, Shannon actually brought me, um, she was on the trip with me and she brought me a card that was basically the job offer. And then it was like, do you want to just sign the contract while you're here? And I was like, why not? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, look what I'm packing. I was like, that sounds great to me. And it's interesting right, because right. You know, Shannon had worked with you really closely at Teach for America, and she kept describing you as a utility player. And I remember in 2011, long before I met when I was founding the school, somebody else described someone to me as a utility player. And I was like, whatever. And then after two or three or four or five years of running a school, I realized that was like actually the ultimate compliment you could give anyone. And if you ever hear of anyone who is described as a utility player, you should hire them immediately, just immediately. It doesn't even matter if you have a job opening or what it is, they will never let you down. And so I feel like I, when she told me that I had matured enough to realize that this actually was exactly what we needed. Um, and you came on board at an interesting time where initially we were poised for some big growth. You were doing a lot of talent work and kind of codifying our practices and hiring. And then we had to pivot into recovery mode and really showing up our operations um, 
you know, and, and I think like many organizations were maybe trying to grow too fast, too quickly, um, you know, and you, but you were just invaluable and then spent th three years, how, 27? I, I think I was there for three and a half years. Yeah. And then, yeah, then the pandemic hit. So we were, that's when everything just goes to like, when, when was time? <laughs> yes, exactly. So. Who knows? There were two years because, I mean, it was amazing. And thank God you have built the ops team up to where it was. We had so many systems that were running smoothly, things are ready to roll because then it was time for a new challenge, which was how to run school remotely. <laughs> right, so, I mean, why not? <laughs> we pivoted, yes. So I think you really helped in that. And really we'll talk more about how you really built up the team, you know, and kind of really helped take, um, you know, I think a hodgepodge of practices and help them become really systematic, really joy filled, um, hired great folks, really uh, cultivated them. Uh, you know, I think about the team now and it's just really thriving. And a lot of that was in due to large part to you. But then, of course, in 2021, you returned to Teach for America, which I think initially we had talked about you maybe being at our school for two years. So we got four. So I feel good about that. Right. Um, and <laughs> you work now in the Office of Transformation, helping individuals and networks of teams kind of lead their core work while also building capabilities or relationships that leaders need to navigate the realities that exist and the realities that are coming and kind of how to go from A to B from there as well. So I feel like there's also a theme of transformation in your work, um, which is kind of interesting, um, which is cool. Um, and of course, you're also a uh, consultant, right? And have a website, Irkwork, which we'll put up later, kind of focused on helping CEOs bring their visions to life and offering support and talent and tackling complex challenges. So that is Eric, for those of you who don't know him, there is your quick bio and intro. And he's awesome, hilarious, a supportive friend, a great person, mixes a great cocktail. And and hosted only once, I believe, hosted the actor party for Chicago Collegiate. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> you know what? It turns out that, uh, you know, when you have, I think, two staff members passed out in your bathtub at various points in the night, you just say, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> There's only a certain amount of colleague vomit that I will tolerate, and that is zero. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting question. How much colleague, how much vomit of your colleagues? By the way, are you willing to clean up not at work? Like this is not at work. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. I actually drive past there. I drive past your old place every Thursday after I drop my daughter off at dance. And I always think of it. I think of the scene from that evening. So anyhow, um, so let's talk about leadership. So, you know, when we met, let's think about actually when we met and you were working at the institutes and doing all the risk management work and different pieces. Um, when you look back at now and think about your leadership journey, what did you kind of take from that point in time? What was like, you know, when you, what was like, did you look back in the story of your life? What was that chapter teaching you? Yeah. I mean, I think the Institute world, cause I know you just talked to Shannon, uh, last week and Shannon is like a mastermind when it comes to operational, just like how you, how you keep yourself organized, the things you think about, like, what do you prioritize? How do you strategize? How do you tell people no? And like, how do you invest people? Uh, so there were like, that I think is like one of the most joyful work experiences that I've had. Cause I think mm -hmm. Shannon had built some amazing team of people and unsurprisingly, we all still keep in touch, which is crazy to think about that. I think it's been like 10 years now and we're all still like, oh yeah, I think we just worked together yesterday. Um, and I think that there was just that element of, uh, coming straight out of the, the core as a teacher and like being thrown then into a pretty complex team. Um, I was set up with the skills and like all, like nothing was unclear to me as to what I was supposed to do mm. in my role. And I think that was a really good life lesson um, as I became a manager later on to say like, 
how do you do that well? And I feel like I always reflect back on my time with Shannon and I'm like, how did she do that? And like, I love that, like Shannon loves to give me a hard time about this because she made us do status reports every week. And I was literally like, why am I doing this status report? This feels like back in the day where they had like the movie, The Office and like people are like, you get those reports and like the stapler, (laughs) right? And I was just like, Shannon, why are we doing this? And now as a person who has led a team, I was like, oh, I get exactly what she was doing Mm -hmm. and actually did it really well in a a, a way that was super efficient. And um, I think that Maya even writes about her in Together Leader about like the systems that I complain so much about (laughs) as as her team member, but really was I think the reason why we're so effective. But I think it just gave us like the foundation of like, for me, like what it looked like to be extremely effective in ways that I'd never seen before and never knew I was even capable of. Well, and it's interesting too, because I think that really creates a template and an exemplar in your head and institute for those of you who have been there or not. It's such fast paced work. And I think that mm-hmm. mimics a school, a growing organization, right? Like transforming regions in the time of pandemic. And so how do you kind of take that exemplar and use that as a North Star to help guide you, even when the context changes from, you know, a six-week summer institute. You know, it's funny, I, I in some ways went to start a school because I loved leading the institute and I love my times in classrooms. And I was like, I want this all year. And then I was like, oh, wait, there's like never a break. <laughs> like yeah. at institute, we have the fall, you just like plan and think and like vision and like refine. And like, you don't get, you get like maybe two weeks in July <laughs> when you're right. at school <laughs> to do the planning. Plus that's also like your vacation and you need to sleep. Um, but it is that like, but, but I think that template of like, how do you work efficiently and effectively? How do you do this in a way? Um, and it was such a positive team. I mean, that's a great group of people. So lots of, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I think the other thing that I'd add to is it's like, you talk about the utility, like the Mm -hmm. the way that I, I sort of, I think that that really forced us to be all utility players because Mm -hmm. it's literally everything from like, there's like an outbreak of some crazy virus on the campus. So like, we need to just figure out how to do to a new compliance thing that's coming from the department of ed. Like there's just constant, like just constant new challenges. And I think it really did set me up in a way where I was like, okay, well, I have a set of very basic skills that I can use and apply to really anything that we do. Um, and has in turn, I think just created that, u- that, that utility mindset, which, you know, mm. I'm very grateful that I got that experience to do um, it, along the way. And it's interesting because I think that is interesting. I've never thought about like, what's the mindset of utility player? But I think it's like the roll up your sleeve. Here are the skills mm-hmm. I have. How can I bring them to bear? I mean, you guys, didn't you like jet off? Was it the Atlanta Institute as an outbreak of something? You were like cleaning bathrooms. <laughs> like It was like highly oh. contagious. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was called shigalosis. And oh. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if you're going to have like Lanisha or anyone on the on this later, but anyone from that institute <laughs> like will literally be able to tell you all the stories of us being in hazmat suits, like taking selfies because it was so ridiculous, like <laughs> the things that we were doing. But it was an all pursuit of, you know, making sure that the we got to keep this running no matter what. Right, kids we need the teachers us, to be healthy know? so they can teach kids. Exactly. We can't let summer school down and like, here we yeah. go. No, that is... Yeah. Yes, I have never heard of it, but I have heard of it. <laughs> so I don't want to have that kind of scarring experience. It's like, I will never forget that. So absolutely. Yeah. What do you think, you know, you've had a ton of experiences since then. Um, you know, maybe a few more hazmat suits, <laughs> maybe more than you thought. But what have been some of the impactful leadership lessons you've learned along the way since then? Yeah, um, I think that... Well, one of the biggest challenges I think was actually shifting away from Shannon's team um, because she ran a a ship that was so clear and tight that I was just kind of like, all right, well, this is the way that everybody works. Um, And so when I shifted over to, um, I actually supported the COO at Teach for America 
a time, Susan. Um, it was just such a different like orientation and the speed was different and the types of uh, impact that we were able to have. Like in our team, we were able to just like, okay, we think this should be it. Like, so we just did it um, mm -hmm. versus um, this was the first time where I was working through like multiple bureaucratic layers of C-level people. Um, and that was a whole different experience. So I think that that particular part of my journey, I'm really happy that I had it because it kind of was a slap in the face of like, well, here's the complexity that can really exist and like all of the barriers that you have to overcome and how you, um, especially when you get into the C-suite, it's just such a different world to operate mm -hmm. in. Um, and how you, uh, how you, like you're essentially managing people behind the scenes to help them mm -hmm. be their best self. Um, and like doing it in ways that's like political slash, like, uh, who do I know where I can pull this string when I I need it and right string to pull and all that. So that I think in and of itself was a really great learning experience. And then um, I think one of the things that I was really looking for that I wasn't able to get um, at Teach for America was like creating my full team and wanting to be a team leader, um, which is what I did at Collegiate. And I think we'll talk about that later. But um, I think that was like one of the pivotal moments in my own development was like actually saying, okay, I'm gonna take the reins and like be a leader of a team rather than just like a manager of one person, mm. um, which I found to be uh, one of the most impactful experiences that I had at Collegiate. Like, honestly, like I would never in a million years, like not do that again, because it was mm -hmm. the most amazing experience to do that. Totally. Um, also, not to throw back, but I will say Chrissy Heine chimed in with a comment and this is oh. called Shigalosis. Oh my gosh, Chrissy. <laughs> it's S-H-I-G-A-L-O-S-I-S. -S -S, and um, this has indeed been seared in Chrissy's brain. <laughs> it was me. So. Oh my gosh. I Those days are, I would literally, I would, pay, if someone was like, will you turn down the million dollars to go back and be around all of those people again? I think I would say yes, because I think that it was just such a fantastic like time to just spend in my 20s. Like I just was like, it was amazing. It was a really, really, really it's such like, great. I mean, experience. great colleagues make a huge difference. And I think mm -hmm. that, I mean, we've talked about, okay. And Chrissy just tried to, she cannot confirm that's Billy. So please, oh. <laughs> please, you know, if you're in WebMD and there's something close that it looks like you need to have that suit, that's it. Yes. <laughs> This is hilarious. Well, and Amazing. I think that like even it's interesting because, you know, I do a lot of strengths coaching and one of the strengths that shows up in a lot of people's top five is Relator, which is working hard with friends to achieve. And Relators love working hard with friends to achieve a goal. And I feel like there's a part for all of us. Like, I don't think I have Relator in my top five. I don't think you have Relator in your top five, but still there's a sense of like accomplishment and achievement. And like, it's just like great to be in it with good people working towards a meaningful mm -hmm. um, And those relationships that last, you know, decades. I mean, it's, it's pretty mm -hmm. awesome. Well, and you know that one of my strengths is wooing. And that is where I think that, uh, when it comes to people that I work with, I'm like, if I can't woo you, I can't work with you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that has to be like a primary thing is that, I mean, clearly I'm joking, but I mean, I think that that was one of the things it's like, yeah, they, they were just, I don't know, the people that we worked with were just fantastic. So I 100% agree. But also, woo is really about, it's an influencing strength that also is about kind of like converting strangers to friends. So one of the yeah. things that we always did once we figured out you were a woo strength was like any job fair, any recruitment event, anything that involved like meeting people, I was like, we should send Derek. Obviously. Mm -hmm. Eric, the, the only person that I could not woo, do you want to take a guess as to who that was? Oh when boy, I was working oh boy. I'm picturing a challenging parent. No. Imagine the person who crawled under the stage. Do you remember that person? Oh gosh, who crawled under the stage? No, who was it? Uh, the health inspector. Oh gosh. 
Her, I believe her name was Sandra, and I wish I knew her last name because I would blast her on your little podcast. You, you would be like, you are, <laughs> to be fair, she was very passionate about her job. And uh, yes. that's another, you know, one of those crisis <laughs> management, health inspection didn't go as planned. <laughs> right. I'm like, I can't help that I don't know how hot water works in this 1927 building, but I'm, I'm trying to woo you. <laughs> every time, every time there was like a rainstorm, the bathroom flooded. I mean, it was just, you know, you knew that the street was going to, you know, um, the street was going to overflow on the way into the parking lot, right. like working with the city. Like there are myriad of challenges, big and small, like as much as I know right now you're working through so many layers, but it's interesting because like in some ways I think on these, like, it's like, there are still a lot of layers, even in these small organizations where it can be easier to get things done, but it's still like, on the other hand, you're probably also not worried about the street flooding. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, everything's a trade-off. Um, so what about like, is there something that used to work for you in leadership that kind of that doesn't quite work anymore as you've grown and in your journey, it like was a tool used in your toolbox and it's like gotten dusty or like you tried to pull it out, but it just doesn't work in the new context. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that I personally am always um, adapting at is, and this I will credit to um, you all introducing me to Maya, and I hope you talk to her on this later because yeah, I will definitely watch that one um, is that I think when I went to, I, I had always operated on a system of like how I sort of like managed my people and like what I thought I should be doing and how I should be keeping track of things. And then I feel like when I did finally like actually go to the Together Leader training, it was like a very uh, pivotal portion where I, I felt like for a while it was just like copying everything everybody was doing. And I was like, okay, well, this works. Like Shannon told me to use a flexi binder. I think you told me to use one too. I was like, cool, I'll use the flexi binder. Um, but I wasn't like doing it in a way that I was like, well, why am I doing this? And like, what am I actually trying to accomplish? And so mm. I really think like going through that particular training and really reassessing like the why behind, you know, how I'm doing certain things and like being okay with adapting to different, you know, types of work that I'm doing. Like, even now, it's like, I'm sure you've, you've experienced this when you're trying to launch like your own consultation and things like that. There's like a million things that you're like, wait, now where does this fit? Like, where do I have to put it um, in the thing that I'm used to everything fitting into? Um, so I think that that's like the place I've adapted most is like how I sort of like keep myself organized, but the systems that I'm using to kind of continuing to push me into different uh, levels of my leadership and being able to understand like, I feel like when I first started, it's like, oh, can I keep track of all my to-dos? Whereas like now I'm like, well, I, I have more than that. Like I, I need mm -hmm. to know like, what's my strategy prioritizing? Like, especially when you're managing people, like how am I knowing what they're doing and what they need from me and how am I assessing it? So that all fits into the larger like organizational strategy used to keep myself, you know, working. Um, and so I think that has just become more complex over time um, in ways that have really sort of pushed what I'm able to contribute because of how I am doing that behind the scenes for myself. Well, and it's interesting, right? Because as your the complexity of your role evolves, how do you as a leader evolve your organization systems, evolve your thinking, like move up and think higher? And I agree with you. I just don't think anyone is better than Maya doing that and training that. And I have like four mm -hmm. copies of the Together Leader on the shelf behind yeah, me. <laughs> I recognize, right? I take it out and I go with it. My brother is a car dealer who is thinking about hiring an executive assistant. And I was like, you should buy Maya's book and read this chapter. <laughs> like exactly. that is, you know, <laughs> you pay me for a dedicated day of step back where I basically take a lot of the lessons learned from that chapter and help you make them, you know, transform them into your car dealer context. So yeah, right. widely applicable. Um, so what- I think you just created a new business for yourself, Beth, just like 
Coach, <laughs> coach car dealers. Coach car dealers. Well, I do have a family background for it, but I am known as the black sheep in the family professionally. So I am fine. There is it's good to have some separation in big families. But you know, that's the beauty of educators, right? We can do everything. Like I can yeah, teach anybody. I know how to teach an effective lesson. Um, you know, they just they just transitioned email servers this week, and that was quite the, you know. <laughs> the big deal. My dad was telling me about it. My brother was telling me about it. I was like, wow, this sounds intense. <laughs> Transitioning the Mapleton mail server. <laughs> yeah, you're like, cool. <laughs> and it's like, you know what Outlook can do? It can like send emails into folders. I was like, I do know. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, you don't want to say that you know too much about tech, though, because otherwise you become the on-call tech support for your, my parents. So, like, you got to oh. be careful because it's like... Yeah, or my grandma, who is probably watching this. <laughs> Her grandma is fantastic, though. And also, yeah. I feel like, grandparents are, like, clearly in the realm of, like, yes. She's, like, in her 80s, right? I mean... Oh, yeah. She well, she's 29. Voice. She's 29. She, she's 29, not 80. <laughs> 29. Okay. Got it. Got yeah, it. Looking yeah. good. Looking good. She's got those yeah, yeah. pants jeans. Exactly. Right. Um, so tell me, you know, what is an unexpected place you've learned about leadership? What's, or mm. like, you know, a, like, what it could be like a place, it could be a person, but like someplace you weren't really expecting to learn about leadership and you did. Yeah. Um, well, one thing that I found really interesting, so I, you know, that I have a pretty weird obsession with theme parks in general. Um, and so as a kid, like even, even coming into my Teach for America for the first time, like I was obsessed with like the operations at Walt Disney World. And so I read mm -hmm. like a whole book on it. I found it really fascinating. Um, and I think what was really interesting is that it was the thing that something that I feel like I really, um, as a kid, like valued. I It was the first time that I uncovered where I was like, wow, but there's no, like, I just kept reading and I was like, there's something missing here. And when I was reading how they went about their strategy, like it was so, uh, it, it was so void of anything related to DEI and inclusion mm. that I was like, wow, this is like perpetuating a very like, like uh, white centric model of operations. Mm. And in a way that I was like, oh, wow, this is like a, I kind of want to read it again, like as a case study to be like, like oh, let, as like my, almost 40 year old self and the things that I feel like I've learned over time, you know, it's even small things of like what your hair color can be. Like, are you able mm. to paint your nails? Like how long can your nails be? Like they, and that was like a thing that they, like they would like pride themselves in. So I think like that doesn't necessarily answer your question, but I think it was like a, a learning for me where I was like, Oh, I value like how amazing the operations are for something that seems so so complicated like, awesome, yeah. right and like people pay into their classes to be like oh it's the disney institute like i want to you know learn how the disney way and you're kind of like yeah but it's like we need to like double check like before sort of engaging and like this seems great like is it actually great for everybody and is it actually the model that works um in ways that's not actually like sort of um limiting or uh, not allowing all voices to be heard and i think that's one of the hardest parts and lessons within operations is that Ops folks, we're so like, we like things a certain way. Like we're very like particular and we want to sort of um, ensure that the systems that we create are done in the way that we need to have them done. Um, not realizing that we also have to look at it from lots of different perspectives and layers to be like, how are our own systems perpetuating or not perpetuating, yeah. you know, quote unquote normal, you know? So yeah, uh, um, yeah kind of a roundabout answer to that. But I, I think that was like a good an interesting learning where I was like something that I thought was like really valuable and like a model was actually not, you know, so. 
Right. Well, and it's interesting because initially I thought, cause I know the book, the, I know like we, I read the book, right? Like you recommended it at one point and you know, I, well, one of the hazards of being on my operations team was that I would be out in the world and like see a picture of something cool and be like, we should do yeah. this. <laughs> and I feel like it places <clears throat> like, you know, Disney world or like an effective return procedure at a store or like, when those bathroom things came out with like the, you know, like, like the green smiley and the bread smiley and you could do it to get customer oh, yeah. feedback. I was like, we should put this at the front desk at the school. So I feel like people were like, okay, Beth, I'm an idea fairy as Shannon would call me. Um, yes. To the description in Maya's book of the leader who comes in with lots of ideas, which I didn't realize about myself until Shannon pointed it out. But I think you're right. It's thinking, you know, and Disney is such an interesting place. And maybe that's like, in some ways indicative of our time too. Like when you go to that main street, right. Or kind of look how things are like whose version of America is this, who is this mm-hmm. festival? who's included, who feels good. What does it say that we put this forward as the happiest place on earth? Um, and I mean, I, like, I mean, I think in some ways it mirrors like the bigger issues going on in our school as we're, schools, like generally is like people are debating whether, you know, we should teach slavery, which uh, yeah, important part of our story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe like taking a clear eye look at it and like reckoning with, the 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 legacy of slavery would help us move forward but you know um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's interesting that that is it would be really interesting to read kind of with your 2022 lens on that and see and yeah because i'm sure there's so much in that that's problematic and to their defense they've uh, you know they've adjusted the way in which they approach some of their i don't think it's perfect but yeah yeah, starting to, yeah 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 they have evolved since then but it is just an interesting uh perspective and uh, like it's a reflection on myself too to be like why did i you know why wasn't i challenging that earlier and and so i think we're all on a journey and um it's important to you know identify when you're like oh why did i think that and like go back to yeah. you know to that and see why you know and, and, what, make sure and when that i that think about it as like well this is what like highly effective cultures you know like to what extent is white supremacy culture infiltrated that has exactly influenced how it is why do i feel the need to have this in writing why do i you know this the idea of a sense mm-hmm. of urgency i think deserves a lot of unpacking and right. so interesting to think about you know but we're all on that journey so mm-hmm. yeah so tell me so transition to that you know we both care a lot about equity and justice and inclusiveness and you know the world certainly and and actually the time that we overlapped at collegiate i think the world was you know it was right after the presidential election of 2016 um uh-huh. and certainly i think you know in the middle of the pandemic george floyd's murder and the unrest that resulted from that so you know as you think about you know diversity equity inclusiveness and justice issues you know what are you thinking about what actions are you taking well let me start first like what are you proud about what we did at collegiate as a leadership team and as a group of people kind of working to uh you know as i like to say bend the arc of the moral universe towards justice a little bit further you know, what do you most yeah. Did? yeah, I think that that was an interesting time. So I think um, I the the team that I actually managed at Collegiate and built um, was all women and all diverse. Um, so I was the only male. I was the only white male, like mm-hmm. white cis male, right on the team. So it was a constant thing that I always had on my mind. It's like you know when all of these issues were happening, it's like. I couldn't just go into check-ins and just be like, "Great, let's check in." It was constantly mm-hmm. like having to assess where, you know, where our people were, like what was, you know, how are they being able to come into work? And at the same time, like we were a school, and like there were lots of things happening within the school and our kids, and you know, mm-hmm. just there's a lot there. Um, so I think even in just addressing it in general and trying to find a pathway or forum to like create conversations mattered. Um, interesting because I think. 
I think collegiate was unique in that um, I think that there's often an assumption that, oh, well, you're a black person. So this is how you are feeling right now. Mm. It's actually not the case, right? It's mm-hmm. like we're all different people and we all the come diversity from- of experiences among a shared identity is very real, right? Whether it's Ex- gender, race, sexuality, right? Like there's not one way. Ex- yet. Exactly. And I think um, one of one of the folks who was on my team in particular uh, just downright refused to join um, the mm-hmm. The training that we had. Um, and so I noticed that she wasn't there. And uh, I actually had a conversation with her about it. And she she immediately was challenging me to say like, well, why did you even notice I wasn't there? Which I was like, hmm, that's like a good question, you know, mm-hmm. to ask and reflect on. Like, am I doing again, like what you talked about earlier, like the white supremacist mm-hmm. culture where it's like, let me check to make sure every single person is on my team. What like, where are they? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was a good reflection and actually created a really, um, I think, a, a pivotal moment in our relationship. We already had an amazing relationship. Like mm-hmm. we worked really well together and whatnot, but um, it really challenged, I think, both of us because I was like, okay, well, I want to hear, you know, your perspective. And like, I, I don't understand why, like, I want to know, like, why, why is it that you don't want to join this or why do you not feel like you want to? And through that discovery was that um, I think there was a defeatism and like that her voice didn't even matter in this. And I was like, people are relying on you because your voice is so mm-hmm. profound within the leadership of the school. Um, and like, she was, uh, it was almost like, I think uh, it, it revealed like through conversation that she was almost like, n- like speaking her true self or truth would actually not be welcomed. And I was like, yeah, we need to unpack that too. <laughs> like, right, right, because right. Yeah, yeah, because what are we not doing right where you feel like this might exactly, be? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I, it was just such a, um, even for me as a person, um, you know, like I said, as a white cis male, like leading a group of diverse women trying to like ensure I'm doing them all the time, but you know, we don't. And so um, through that conversation, like, I was like, I think you just need to go off mute and just say, I have something to say and just go say it. And so she did. And I think it completely revolutionized and, and sort of switched uh, sort of something that felt more passive probably to a lot of people. And she mm. herself was feeling that way in helping to have her bring her voice to the conversation actually, um, I think like led to a much stronger, a, like even acceptance of the training itself. Cause I think there's always hesitancy around bringing in external people to have conversations with people in your community or in your you know workplace. Um, and I think just like helped sell a lot of people to say like, yeah, this is important. And like, here's how we do this together rather than just sit there and like sit through a training. Right, just we need you're to told engage, to. right? The same way we want to yeah. see kids like active in classrooms and discussion and, you know, debating and, and unpacking. I think it's the same, the same as well, you know, in that yeah. way. Yeah. So I think that's one other thing, like to your bigger question of like, what, what am I doing now is like, um, um, America clearly is going through a whole uh, set of things related to um, diversity and equity work, um, spe- like specifically trying to um, realign like on, on a path forward. And so um, there's lots of work that is happening right there. And I'm, I'm on some committee work uh, mm-hmm. as part of our transformation process to help there. Um, but what I found, and this was actually a really interesting reflection of mine, is that um, I also serve on a board for Lakeside Pride, which is oh, a yeah. gay and lesbian um, organization, music ensemble organization in Chicago. Um, and we have a whole group of people who do diversity and equity work, um, like targeted specifically in the music community and saying, well, how are we seeing elements of racism and equity like playing out here? Um, and for some reason, I was like, OK, well, that's great. I just don't really have time to do that. Like I'm busy in so many other places. 
um, that are actually like prioritized doing that. And I was like, well, why am I not? And so mm -hmm. I, to my, like, I was like, well, I'm already doing the equity work over here. And I was like, oh, that's a very privileged way of looking at equity and, you know, uh, right, right. The ability uh, to diversity work. Deprioritize it as a huge. Exactly. Ex exactly. So um, it's one of the pushes that I've um, now done myself is that I'm joining. Um, they have discussion groups and book clubs and things that they do to bring that, our particular community mm -hmm. together um, and sort of allowing us to focus like I said, more in a way of like, how are musicians experiencing this? Um, mm -hmm. Which is really fascinating because the world of music in and of itself is, uh, you know, certain people, like look at it, like we wanted to build a music program and it's like, just to do that is like such an overwhelming experience. Whereas you go to a school that has all the affluence in the world, you're given a violin from day one, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, it's just the access of like, kids and music in general um, is something that's just inherently unequal. Um, so, so I don't have a fascinating new lens to kind of look at the diversity and equity work. Um, so that's kind of where I am, I'd say, like on my my journey. I think it's so interesting too, because I think you know that towards the end of my time at Collegiate, probably right around the time you left, um, I started getting pretty involved in my kids' school in this issue. Mm -hmm. And it's really gratifying in some ways, because I think it is, right? These issues are everywhere. Like they're at the grocery store, they're at the gym, they're mm -hmm. at work. And I think sometimes for those of us who work in spaces where we're thinking about a lot professionally, it can, you know, I also think a lot about like talent work professionally. And I like, don't bring that to yeah. the grocery my kids I do bring some to my kids school but you know that I'm also <laughs> perhaps perhaps not the most beloved parent on the block <laughs> not easy to have an expert in leadership uh you know sending their kids to school and plugging in all of your communications but it's it has been really neat and also kind of neat for me personally to like bring this interest and like have the two come together in a way I imagine the music piece is interesting too because you've been a musician mm -hmm. you were in the marching mm -hmm. band in college go back every year to march and homecoming like I feel like musician is one of your you know, mm -hmm. core identity, yeah. but you know, it's, it's certainly an identity. So. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Well, let's get into our area of focus here. So kind of clarity teams and culture. So, you know, we talked, uh, you know, in our preparation call for this, we talked a lot about just like how important clarity is and how you use this as a North star. And like, you know, what, like when you think about leaders and clarity and like what they need to know, like, what are you, what are you thinking about here? Like what, what lessons have you learned? What's come up the hard way? Um, what have you really seen work? Like, I'd love to kind of hear you expound on that a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, one of the things, uh, I feel like as a questioner, which I learned from you, Beth. Yes, is, you love um, Christian Rubin's habits. That was a great PD bootleg. Yeah, if I do say so, one of my favorites. Yeah, so right, it's the four tendencies, right? Is the yeah um, how you respond to it, expectations? You respond to inner expect no right? Questioners need to know the why to to meet expectations. Yeah. I am an obliger. I just need like a deadline, <laughs> right? <laughs> and someone to tell you there. you need to do it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I thought you were a rebel, though. No, no, Tracy's a rebel. Tracy's oh, a rebel. Okay. And then actually the four, it, we've had all four tendencies on these lives because Tracy's a rebel. Um, Shannon is an upholder. So she responds to both. Tracy mm -hmm. responds to neither. Um, and I respond <laughs> to external. But I have gotten the compliment before actually from one of the folks I coached in our leadership development program. They were like, oh, I thought you were an upholder. You just like are so good with your expectations. I'm like, I am an obliger who has learned how to manipulate myself <laughs> so that I yeah. can breakthrough. So anyway, yeah. sorry. So as a questioner, you always need to know the why you always, and which is actually really, when we, I remember doing that and being like, Eric always has a million questions. This is like so helpful because it helps him understand 
why we're doing something, which then helps him move forward like all systems go in a way yeah. that I think without that language, maybe it would have been like, well, why are you doubting me? Or how come you need to know this? Or like, we're trying to move on with the next agenda item. But it came from a place of love and good intent. Yeah, well. yeah. And the reason why I bring that up is I think that um, that was in my pursuit of clarity. And I think that that like, oftentimes I think that when we're, you know, when we're trying to do work together, it's like, okay, everybody says, great, we get, we're aligned and like ready, go. And then it's like, you get 14 different products because you're not mm -hmm, aligned. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's one of the things um, I've actually spent a lot of time thinking since I've left collegiate around clarity uh, mm -hmm. because I've, I saw how, or not clarity, um, questioning because I saw it play out a lot in my new team um, mm -hmm. where I actually had to like talk to them about like, okay, the work that we are doing is like super unclear. Like there are lots of, like we could go in multiple directions. So I feel like I like, like I'm the I'm the type of person that I'm like I just want to get it right, and so mm -hmm. I just want to ask like a million questions so I get to the point of like great this is the clarity that I needed, um, but also realizing too that, that like I learned this really um, great tool which you probably know about because you've read a million books, but it's the uh, it's like the 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 seesaw between advocacy and inquiry. Um, mm -hmm. And have you heard of this one? Uh, it sounds familiar. Yes, I feel like I yeah. in my head. Yeah. So I think I was balancing more. So you can get into the habit of like, when you are, um, when you're asking questions, you can be using inquiry as a disguise, like you can be using, um, questions as a disguise for advocacy. Mm -hmm. So you might, you might appear like you're inquiring, but you actually do have a position yeah. and that when you are asking questions, instead of just saying like, Hey, I actually have a, I, ha I have a, a I have an, a statement here. I have an opinion or a thought that instead you're just using the questions to be like, before I say this, I want to test the waters and see like, is this actually like out there, like, okay, inappropriate. And it just, it creates an environment that's kind of bizarre and weird. And that was one of the, it's one of the things I've been working on of like, how do you balance the two? Because inquiry is important to understand another person's view. Like, are you really saying this? Are you not? So that I can know whether or not I can get on board versus being like, let me question until I can actually say the thing that I want to say instead of just saying it outright in the first place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know if that gets to your um, question, but it just randomly popped in my head of uh, sort of how, um, how I've taken something that I think like can be an asset, but also can like, to your point, say like, are you doubting me? Are you this, that, and the other? Like questioning can really come across in ways that actually diminish, um, I think you as a leader. Um, so I, I, I think I had gotten some feedback from Susan actually, and she was like, I think that this is where it is. And it was one of the most helpful pieces of feedback that I'd gotten, mm. um, as like a reflection on a way to take something that I can do well, but like strengthen it to my advantage mm. to actually, you know, be more, um, straightforward and direct in like the actual things that I'm thinking rather than disguising them in questions. Well, and it's interesting too, because I think that like, it also highlights to me how important like trust is open lines of communication, assuming positive intent and how, like, even just hearing you say like, here's what I need to be able to move forward is like, as a leader, it's like, okay, when I hear that, that can be helpful. Now, sometimes I don't have a clear answer. Yeah. Ambiguity, right. The more you get, or, you know, what would be the sign of, yes, this is a home run or like, yes, this is like moving the needle. But I think that it's always i mean i feel like we did this a lot on our teams and shannon does it a lot like these like know yourself ice spray team like because mm -hmm. it really does like foster trust people love it because it's fun and they talk about it and it helps you like just have language to be able to describe um you know whether it's you know kind of how you prefer to work or you know communication style etc yeah um, well what about so let's talk about um teams and let's talk about building teams and you know that was something i know you mentioned was really powerful and you Eric, we, I feel like had some very, uh, uh, 
I don't know if pivotal moments, but like impactful experiences with hiring. I feel like <laughs> you like, you know, we, we've talked a lot about hiring um, and the, the good, bad and the ugly. And so maybe like, let's start there with building teams. Like, what are you thinking? What do you think about building teams or what are you really, what have you really learned about this as leaders think about hiring and assembling teams? Yeah. Um, well, even without you um, asking me this in our, our conversation before this, I was like, I'm going to say on this podcast or whatever this is done called <laughs> that if you need to find someone who will help you with your hiring process, Beth is the person. So hire her. <laughs> but um, in all seriousness, to set the stage, I think when I joined um, Collegiate, we uh, I was not hired to lead a team. I was hired to help with talent strategy, which mm -hmm. I'd never done anything with. That was like complete new territory for me. Um, so I kind it's of learned as I went. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, so um, I felt like I, I had a pretty good grasp like through the development of our talent strategy of like what it looked like to like hire in general, just a lot of exposure to the hiring process in general because I'd never really done much of um what was tricky uh is that um i think i might have been part of this decision but then we decided to just eliminate the entire team and then try to hire a new uh school a person to oversee school ops and we couldn't find a role and so we went through multiple you know hiring processes and eventually we were like we just need to find someone and so i offered i was like it seems like this might be a place where I can just scoot over and like actually start it. So that's setting the stage as we literally just obliterated the entire team. Um, and we were like, we just have to start over from scratch, um, which I think was a blessing, but also a curse because we were on a deadline to like get a team cool. in place. Um, and so it's like that. I think it's like the first lesson I learned is that even when you don't have people in place, you don't want to hire the wrong person because mm -hmm. if you hire the wrong person, then you're stuck in a place where uh, it actually makes more work for you or you're in a place where um, you're just constantly thinking about, well, what if that person leaves or what am I going to do? It's like, it's just this constant stress. And I did experience that in the first the first time that I hired because um, we hired two school ops um, folks for the beginning, one for our high school and one for our middle school. Our middle school person who is still there, Trisha, is wonderful. Um, and she is one of the most fantastic people I've ever found um, in my entire life, I feel like, who could uh, just be so in sync with the work that I needed um, from the team. And also, like I think time and place for her was just really developmentally great for her. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, our counterpart, like, like amazing on paper and had a lot of experience, but and Beth, you and I talked a lot about debriefing this particular candidate is there was, there were a lot of red flags around um, not ever working in a school or be, being in an environment that our kids work in. And so um, there were questions that came up in the interview about like, will I be safe and things like that, that when I looked back on it, I was like, I definitely glossed over that. Cause I was like, I just need this person and she should come. And um, and experience and we need to exactly. go to high school and right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like, in some ways, right. without giving people the benefit of the doubt, which is like a lovely quality as a person, but in the hiring process can be problematic, <laughs> right? Uh, yes, yes. And I, the thing, um, so what was really fascinating and what I, this was one of my best management lessons that I learned in the role is that um, she gave me her two weeks notice within like the first several months. Um, yeah, it was close, yeah. And, and I immediately was like, you're not quitting, you're staying. And I did everything I could. Like I was there until like 9 p.m., like trying to talk her off a ledge, like just doing all the things that I was like, okay, this is like amateur 101 stuff. Like, why am I doing this? You know, when it comes to uh, being a, a team leader. Um, and so I, um, 
yeah, eventually she was like, yeah, I can't. And we let her go or, you know, she went her her own way and and we hired one of the second most amazing people that I feel like I've ever hired, which is Tammy. And she is fantastic. um, And one of the most amazing people, uh, I think, to have worked at Collegiate as well. Um, And so, uh, you know, it's one it's like, had we done the hiring process right in the first place, maybe wouldn't have found Tammy, which I kind of like, well, I had to go through that heartache to experience and find her and like mm-hmm. be the right person for the role. Um, but what I think was I learned uh, from that and and you really pushed me on this, Beth, was to do like a, an evaluation of like, go back, look at this particular candidate mm-hmm. and where were the places where you actually like missed a flag, where you overlooked or glossed over something or in the hiring process, like were you even clear on what you needed and what you yeah. actually were looking for? Um, and I think that um, what's the book that you um, it's who I think is the book that you we used to yeah who was one of the books yeah yeah so you you created amazing resources that i think just really laid out um lots of clarity around um sort of what the hiring process should look like and from there you forced all of us to do it uh, there were uh, each of the administrators like had to go back and be like what was your worst hire if there, you have a person cr- currently in seat, let's go back and look at their interview resources. Like what were the things that you should have seen or could have popped up? And sure enough, every single person had that. It's it's just like not rocket science, it's there. Um, And so I think learning, um, like moving forward, the things that I learned was like, uh, A, you actually have to know like what you're hiring for and know specific skills. How are you gonna test those skills? Um, like what are the, what's the process even going to look like? Where are you going to find your talent? Um, but then this, the sort of like third thing that I think that I learned from you in this whole process is that, um, the reference checks are like literally the most important of how, of how you go about the hiring process in general. Um, and I think back to like how I actually went about the reference check and it was like, her current boss or something. And he was like, yeah, she's fantastic. And I was like, great hired. Like, right. 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 Instead of asking the the sort of like through line thread questions about like, tell me about a time when this person really struggled. Like, how did they, you know, work through that? Um, hey, this role is going to be really tough because it's in a community that looks like this. Like, how do you like this? It's going to be high stress because there's a ton of like teachers asking, like putting them into the environment and then saying, like, where do you think that they might struggle? Like and actually helping to get answers like that versus like the answer that I wanted, which was like, she's great, hire her. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you wanted so. to hear it, right? It was a confirmation bias. And it's interesting because, I mean, reference checks are, I feel like people so often gloss over them because we also talked about, I think, and I don't know, I, people, some people did, some people didn't, like moving them up in the process, right? Mm-hmm. Like not have it be the last thing is like, a, you know, because like who has ever done a reference check and they're like, they're a serial killer, don't hire them. Right, like, exactly, yeah. People give you, and, and you know, you know, I also love a good backdoor reference check. Like if I see someplace mm-hmm. that I know someone who works there and even if they're not a reference, I'm surely going to ask about you. I feel like I've gotten more scoop that way. And frankly, mm-hmm. As leader, I get that all the time. I got an email last week with someone who's like, hey, this person worked at Collegiate. Do you know them? What, what's the deal? Um, so like one, that's always helpful. But two, like done well, it can really tell you because like everybody's going to struggle at something, right? And everyone does. And, and it's not about, you know, are they a good person or what's their intent? But it's about how do you as a manager glean the information, as, in this case, as a hiring manager, glean that information to help you decide, like given where we're at as an organization, is this going to be the right fit, you know? But I think that also goes yeah. to like clarity, and, you know, like in figuring out the role. I mean, that's like, you know, when you sit down for, honestly, it can be a half an hour max. Like, you know, how important is school experience to me in school ops? And is it a nice to have or is it a must have? And why is that? And for mm-hmm. you know us to go back and forth and kind of spar over that, 
to help get that clarity because I think that there's an argument to be made both ways, right? It just depends on the context and situation mm -hmm. and what the high school's needs are and what this and where the skill set is. But I feel like so often when the hiring process has gone wrong, it's because there's not clarity on the role and what it demands and where it fits in. And by the way, hiring for this role today, it look, might look very different for this exact same role in two years because of where the organization mm -hmm. is. So I don't know yeah, if you're that training that you're referring to. It's funny because I offer like a version of that training now that I'll work with people for a day and revamp their process. But I don't know if you remember, it was one of, it was a difficult decision at the moment because I just realized that we are so unaligned on hiring and different hiring managers and how do I get my people together, but how do I pull my principles out and it's hiring season and what mm -hmm. am I going to do? And it was over spring break. I was like, how do you feel about giving up two days of your spring break? To do this? I do. Yeah, you're right. Compensated, mm -hmm. But I knew that the principals weren't going out of town. We were 52 week employees. It would be quiet. I think it was maybe two days or like a day and a half. Mm -hmm. um, I put some bonding stuff in there. We brought, you know, some nice meals. But I remember at the time feeling like I really never asked people to like work on vacation, work on the weekends, do that. But that felt so important. And like, it was such a key moment, spring break for hiring for the next year that like, let's get it right now, because if not, we will suffer the consequences for at least 12 more months, right? Mm -hmm. And there's never the time yeah. to take two days from the flow. And so therefore you just need to sometimes because at the end of the, you'll be so glad you did. And I, you know, I, I'm glad to hear you thought it was useful because I did try to make it very actionable, real, an environment of learning. And then you were ready to go out and hire, you know, in a more like yeah. Well, and I think it's just so helpful too, because that particular training, I mean, it still sticks with me. I know exactly where we were, like what we, yes. you know, and all the things. Um, but I think what was really profound about that particular training is that, you know, you can read all the books in the world of like how to do it. But I think um, when you actually take real case studies, which is what we did, which yes. is to say, like, really take a mirror to yourself about like this particular thing, like look at yes. all of the data that you pulled about this person and where are those like flags that you should have caught or where are the places that... Um, you sort of glossed over or didn't do something in this particular process or whatnot. And I think it just was illuminating um, in ways that we were like, oh, this obviously <laughs> we are doing a certain thing wrong or we should be adding this to our process um, along the way. And I think just built um, such a, a huge amount of knowledge in a very limited amount of time. Like I think I grew so much as a hiring manager in just like those one and a half days, like in ways that I think had I like read, you know, or done other stuff, like just wouldn't have actually had the impact that that particular training did. Well, I, I'm glad to hear it. And I think that's what I even do with clients now is like, send me some stuff. Let's like, mm -hmm. let's make it real. And then also when we're talking about roles, we're not figuring out some like fairy tale role. Like what's the role you're yeah. hiring for now? Let's get clear. Let's pull up your Bamboo HR. One of the more popular initiatives that Eric started, our favorite uh, HR yeah. partner software. Right. But like, let's pull up the the resumes and pull out two. Mm -hmm. and, and I remember we walked through a couple candidates and uh, it was it was clarifying for everyone because I think that I know that I remember thinking the, there were two and I thought the other one would really. And then when we walked through them, it was, there was one that was more clear who ended up becoming, you know, an assistant principal. And so I think that um, and later the principal of the high school. So I think that I was glad to hear that was impactful because, you know, you just do this stuff and especially if you're going to like use people's spring break or, you know, pull like for yeah. me to tell someone like, Hey, can you pay a lot of money and take a time and do this? But it's like, it really does like stick with people and pay off for years to come. So hundred percent. All right. So before we get to lightning round, what about culture? Tell us a little bit about team culture and some of the kind of key components or advice or things to think about. Um, what are you thinking about team culture and kind of building effective teams in their culture? Yeah. Um, I think that uh, we talked about the five dysfunction of the team, which I think yes. is like cliche, but also very helpful. But it's there for a reason, you, right? Yeah. Um, 
Exactly. Uh, and um, for my team in particular, I think just the idea of like the foundation of trust is just so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And a school setting is really helpful because you're literally like in like you're in it together, like every single day until the pandemic happened. Fortunately, we had a couple of years together before and beforehand. So we were able to build our team. Um, but I think just for me, and I, I learned this from you and Shannon and others who I've worked with is like the like knowing about people and like beyond what what they are at work is so important and, and like ways that feel authentic to them. So you can't be like prodding in a way that's like, tell me all your dirty secrets about okay, who great. you are. Like in knowing like, oh, you really care about your grandson and it's important that you finish work by 4.30 so that you can be there to pick him up as school for certain people. And if, if I didn't know that as a manager, I'm going to manage differently. Mm -hmm. And so I think really trying to figure out who people were and like what, what really mattered to them and what was important and holding them accountable to it. Um, like I know for Trisha, when, uh, one of the things is she's very involved in her volunteer community. She, mm -hmm. um, always has like personal things that she's trying to do. So I was like, okay, when you show me your action plan for the, where's all that? Cause right now I'm only just seeing work. And so it's like working with them to say like, how do we balance both of this? And I think that over time builds the trust. Um, I think the clarity of expectations is really important. Um, yes. So people know what successful, what success looks like. Um, and when they do achieve success, like really celebrating that in a way that isn't just like, rah, rah, you did it, but like really helping, um, I think, celebrate them in the way that makes sense for them. Cause everybody celebrates differently. Right. We'll love public exposure and saying like, is that an offensive term? Public exposure. I don't know. If, you know right. what I mean? Public praise. Public praise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was like, is that one like someone just like away from public exposure? <laughs> yeah, I think public exposure is like when you flash someone. And flash. Yeah, that's no, not what I meant. That's never the right way to celebrate a big win. <laughs> that is not the way to celebrate. Um, but that that just knowing like how to celebrate your people and the what's authentic to them, I think matters. Um, and then one of the things that was really helpful, and this was another push from you, Beth, is that um, through our leadership pathways work, which was like a, a group of people that you pulled together across the school, both schools to say like, how do we build each other up as leaders? Um, you introduced me to the Radical Candor book, yes. which is, is amazing. And there's lots of things in there that are great. Um, uh, that I think that was such a helpful um, framework for us to have together as a team to talk about, because I didn't give them the full book. Who do we have a visitor? I, I was looking to see if I have the thing near me because I usually, I mean, I've had it by my desk to the right of my desk, but I work by myself, so I don't use radical candor. Yeah. <laughs> I, candor with no, I was wondering if one of the twins ran in. I know. No, no, no. Thankfully, thankfully. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah. The children yeah. But radical candor was, so, yeah, it was so helpful because I think it just gave the length. Like I, I, there's so many frameworks and I think you can pick whatever one applies or you feel like you can manage best to. Um, but I think it just gave us the language to say like, how do we engage with each other? How do we like, when things are tough, like how do we talk about it? Like how do we push each other? Um, and so I felt that was really helpful. Um, actually like uh, Essie, who is one of the clerks that I worked with, who I love, she's near and dear to my heart. Um, one of the things that she gave me as a piece of feedback was like, Eric, you always ask about X, Y, Z thing. Like, are you asking like for a reason? Like, I know how to do this. Like, you don't need to mm. keep checking on me on this, which was a great way. Like, even though it doesn't seem radically candid, it was, it was no, like, I care about you. Like, yeah. yeah. She's like, I care about you. You have a million other things to do. And like challenging me to say like, do you actually really need to be in here and involved in this? Which then brought me back to my situational leadership days, which I was like, why haven't I evaluated which, like how close or far I am from the work. Um, but yeah, it just helped us to 
have conversations, even that simplistic to just like push each other to be even better and stronger as a team. Um, and I felt like it was just a really helpful, you know, way to, to lead. So, um, I, I mean, that book I think was, you know, it's really the intersection of caring personally and challenging directly, right? It's an access yeah. So you really want to do both, but what does it look like? What happens when you care about someone, and you don't challenge them. What happens when you challenge them and you don't care? What happens when neither are true? And mm -hmm. I think that I love helping people weave that, that particular of like thread into their organization, because, you know, I think the reason that that resonated for me was at the time we had a lot of really caring, well-meaning people who mm -hmm. were not challenging each other. And there was a lot right. of drama that was underground or that was passive or that was whatever. And it was like, we have got to be able to like speak to each other truthfully um, or else we're not gonna be able to get past. And we just saw too many mistakes. And so I think that that really helped just like people. And I don't, I think it might be educators generally. Like, I just think people are mm -hmm. like really like nice and kind and caring and mission driven organizations. And so they don't want to say like, this feels like a waste of time to me. Right. Or like, why am I doing these reports? Or I actually think that this teaching is not up to par and like, we have to figure this out. And so I think that that really helped make us a more, um, I mean, a more candid and more direct organization in a way that just like helped us focus on our mission and reach the goals. But yeah, it is really cool. also, I'll add one more thing, not related to that, but one more thing that I think is important for teams is that, mm -hmm. um, and you knew that I was very strategic and that there has to be a pipeline for your team at all times. Like, yes. what, is, what, what is like, what is the trajectory? Like, who are the people that are going to come in after? Um, and that was one of the things that I was strategic and how I hired, right? Is like, we knew that the two women who are leading um, school ops were both really fantastic people. And we had to figure out ways, like, how do you keep them longer? Right? Like yeah. they can't stay in like in, in roles forever. They have to be able to evolve and adapt and whatnot. And so, um, I have eliminated many roles that I've been part of. And I did that in this <laughs> at collegiate yeah, too, yeah. is, is trying to find ways to, I think, eliminate your role and like allow us a pathway for other people to take on the work. And like, that was one of the most fun challenges I think for me was like, what are like talking to other people and saying like, what are the things that you think would make my people ready X role? Cause I think that was a question that, you know, you have to get your administrators or the people above you on board to say like, yeah, these are our constraints. This is the thing. These are the things. And so I, I felt like sort of balancing the, like the needs of the people that you're supporting, but also like advocating for them in higher levels to say like, how do we get them into the places and sort of figuring out the alignment of all of that, I think is just so important um, as you think about like a longer term health of an organization, um, especially for a team like ours that was so new and had just been built, but at the same time was like, I'm not going to be here forever. So I want to make sure you it continues, right? To think about people's development. You just do. And, and it needs to be in a stepping stairway so that it's not like, because the other mistake people make is like, we'll just do this huge project. And then you really struggle and you're like, oh, I don't know. Maybe you're not ready yeah. for this. As opposed to like, just be, you just have to be thoughtful. It only takes like five minutes a week to say like, here are my people. What am I doing to help them grow? But that kind of discipline over time helps you to see the see the fruits ultimately. It's interesting. I was just talking with a good friend of mine. She's uh, thinking about applying for a very high profile position in an organization. And I'm like, what is wrong with them where they can't fill this internally? You know what I mean? And honestly, that's mm -hmm. what I see when I see positions open. And look, there are times for extra, you need a new voice, you need fresh energy, you need a someone who has a skill set that doesn't exist on your particular team, you need a math expert. But so often it's like, can you eliminate your role? Or if your role can't be eliminated, can you really um, coach your successor? And I feel like, you know, mm -hmm. it's interesting because both with Tracy taking over as CEO for me, my uh, institute assistant director took over as my director, right? I had a yeah. team instruction, but it's like, that's part of your responsibility as a leader is kind of growing people into it and not in a way that's like, it's thrust upon them, but in a way that like, they really 
come in and don't skip a beat, right? I mean, the ultimate right, exactly. give you is like, of course, we miss seeing smiley, fun Eric around, but we don't know. There is not an impact on the quality of the school, you know, the smoothness of the operations. That's really important. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, yeah. we can talk all day, but we won't. Um, but because we will move the lightning <laughs> round. Um, so tell me, what is a book that's meant? You know, I was a reading teacher, so I always ask, what was a book that meant a lot to you professionally that you recommend? Professionally, a book. I think it would go back to Radical Candor. I really like that book. I thought, yes, I think it was. Um, there's just so many good stories in there. I think there are some problematic parts of it when it comes to DEI and they're working through that. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to see how they'll adapt the model moving forward. Um, but in general, I think it's a really good, solid resource for anyone. And a runner up would be um, situational leadership. I remember well, reading that book. Is a great one. Yeah. 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 I love it because it's like 60 pages and you're like, great, got it. <laughs> and it's just like, it's so transferable. Like you can use it yeah. in so many situations. Like, yeah. Definitely. How about what's another resource, like a podcast or a website, newsletters? you know? Well, I thought about this question, Beth. So I'm going to go off script here and say, I don't really listen to podcasts that like, I don't do a lot of reading of like these types of things or like, but I, yeah. I, I just like, I do it through word of mouth, but I do have a really favorite new podcast that I love um, mm. secretly. And maybe not so secretly, you know, that I love the, uh, the Real Housewives. They're yes. so proud, but I just love them and because they're so messy. Um, there's a new podcast out called The Bravo Docket, which is two women um, lawyers who uh, basically go through all the court records from all of the ladies <laughs> and they go, they tell you the story of like what's going on, like through like legal documents. It is the most fascinating, <laughs> it's the most fascinating podcast. Legal education while at the same time staying yeah. on the housewives. I love it. Exactly. Love like it. they tell you, they like tell you all the legal language, what it means and why they're doing certain things. And I was like, this is fascinating. And like, super yeah. interesting, super yeah. interesting. Um, I, well, and that's also speaks to like, look, as leaders, like we don't like, there was a time in my life when I, when I, well, what, when what I was reading before bed was related to work and now it's not mm -hmm. because like I'm older, right. and, like work gets my attention during the day. I'm not going to say the housewives get my attention at night, but, <laughs> but maybe when play. I guess they, I do read a, I, I know all the housewives from all of my celebrity gossip magazines. So those certainly, I'm always on top of those. <laughs> Fear not. Yeah. yeah I've got yeah. those current events. All right. What about some mentors personally who've meant a lot to you? Yeah. Um, I think for sure, like you and Shannon have been incredible resources for mm -hmm. me. Um, but I also, um, I've been so lucky. Like right now I work with um, Fatima mm -hmm. um, and I work with Susan and Um, I think Fatima, she goes by Fatima Burnham now, but she's amazing. Um, I get to work so closely with them and I worked closely with them before I left. And so um, they've just always, uh, I feel like the, 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 like, the most constructive criticism or like uh, feedback I've gotten has been from them in a way that I've like, read in and like, wow, this is like an aha. Like, I really feel like this mm -hmm. was what I needed to hear um, to kind of push myself forward. And then honestly, I feel like you could, like, I could name literally every single Institute person that we've ever worked with as like mentor people, because like even Chrissy coming in on this podcast, or I'm like, literally, like, even reaching out to anyone like Chrissy, it's like, you could literally like, we could find anything we needed through network. I feel like it's just such a powerful network of people um, that I feel like I'm constantly reaching out to folks and being like, what do you know? Like, do you have any connections here or whatever? So um, I think it's just that has been an invaluable um, connection for me too. It's lovely to work with people um, it, like that and then just have them, you know, throughout. Um, 
makes me want to go back, uh, which doesn't exist anymore, but that's a whole separate story. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about, you know, I'm big on like learning about leadership in unexpected places, right? So like, I call these like mentors from afar, like people you don't actually know, but you feel like you learn a lot about leadership from them. Obviously, you know, Bruce Springsteen is a very important mentor from afar. I mean, hopefully soon to become personal mentor um, when we meet as destiny determines. But um, what about some mentors from afar who helped shape your understanding of life? Yeah. Um, I feel like this is such a weird cliche version, but um, I've always had like a connection to Oprah with it, with the exception of her problematic um, support doctor, whatever his name is, that believe Dr. Oz, or I think is the one who doesn't <laughs> believe like the pandemic. I believe he's running real. for um, That was her one misstep. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but I, I feel, so she just recently, I don't know if you knew this, but she recently just started up um, Oprah Daily, which is like her new subscription instead of having the Oprah Magazine. It's like the new version. Um, but I've, I found so many, what I really enjoyed is like, sometimes it's hard to like, uh, as you're thinking about like what diverse like perspectives or authors or things that you're trying to find, and like it sheet up in such a way that's so easy like to go in and be like, oh, like you recommend this book, like I'm gonna go read it. And like 99.9% .9 of the time Oops. I read it and I'm like, this is fantastic. No, I'm so glad that I have that exactly. exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I would say um, that's my cliche. Um, well, first a good one. Oh, well, and in fact, yeah. this slide by leadership was inspired. I have my eighth grade yearbook. What do I wanna be when I grow up? I wanna be like Oprah, a talk show host. <laughs> exactly. Now you just, that's you need to steal the, you, know, you need to go back to collegiate and steal that Oprah chair that we got and put it in your office so then you can actually- the, like, the, the white leather, I don't even think they were yes. And I am spiritually probably about half, I live about half a mile from where the Harpo Studios were. So yeah. you know, I do feel like that energy is in the air. So we're, we're yeah. building something here. I feel like you should end every one of these podcasts with the like, you got a new car. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. That Oprah energy, we're all aspiring to big, to build. And then what is something you're loving in your life right now? Could be anything. Oh, good question. Um, well, I'm loving that I'm currently located in Florida, not Chicago. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, uh, I was actually talking to Shannon about this this morning. I was texting her, um, and uh, I feel like for the first time, I've um, this last year has been a real journey away from like what what is the traditional way we believe work is. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us in the pandemic have been like, let me reassess like what it means to work. Um, and so I think I've always thought about work as like, okay, I get sat from this one job. And like, that's the thing I wake up and do eight hours a day. Um, and then that's it. Um, and so when I've started to be able to do um, work with like, I've just started earthwork.com. And like when I'm um, working with different clients, and then also I'm working alongside of Susan and Fatima on projects that they're trying to launch. Um, it has just like opened up an entire world where I was like the way in which I think about what a job is versus like mm. when you're doing fulfilling work that actually is like, oh, people want to pay for my expertise. And like, I'm actually really doing this stuff. <laughs> like, not that I'm unhappy in my job, but it's like, your job is so predictable and like, it's just, it is what it is like kind of thing. Um, it's the first time that I've really gotten energy around like rethinking the way we approach work and how we see ourselves. And that wasn't always the case because I don't know if you felt this when you launched your, um, your work, but I feel like imposter syndrome is so real. Um, and it, it has just been, it's taken a while to finally get over the fact that like, oh, us and like people do want to hear from, me or do the types of work that I like to do and could see value in that. It just takes a little bit to get over that hump and that as I've gotten over that, I'm like, this is just such a fun place to be in and like a fun place to, to explore and see what's out there. Well, I think in some ways it's like, you know, thinking about, <laughs> 
thought about marriage a lot the past few years as I went through a divorce. And it's like, you know, you can't depend on your partner to be everything to you in all ways. And I think it's the same thing with your job, right? Uh So like, it's interesting thinking about like, you know, just like you have to have friends and family and like, I have mom friends and college friends and TFA friends. And so I think it's the same way with your job in some ways. It's like, how do I feed different parts of myself? Um, but yeah, speaking totally. of artwork, um, I'll put the website up. And for those of you listening, it's www.erkwork.com. Um, tell us a little bit about Irkwork um, and what you're up to. Yeah. So Irkwork actually came from um, an idea that Shannon, <laughs> I keep going, like Shannon must be the one that I talk to in my life, apparently. Um, but Shannon um, had always had this idea. Um, I think she called it op. What did she call it? Opscore? Opscore, I, I think. think was, Opscore. Yeah. So, yeah. So I found a different name for it and basically tried to launch it. <laughs> so, um, but, but essentially, so Irk is like a, a play on words. It's what my friends used to, like my really close friends, just like they'll call me Irk because it's kind of a combination of the I and the C together. Um, and so I was like, well, that'll work. And so, um, so basically the idea is that basically taking all the stuff that we had learned, like we had talked about earlier in Institute, like what is it to be a utility player? And can you have a group of utility players come together to offer um, services and, and like consultation around how to do things effectively? And like one of the things that I think uh, we did really well on our team back in the day and I learned as a sort of like foundation is like we did it cheap and we did it easy. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and not to say that I'm going to be cheap, but, <laughs> but, um, but it was done in a way where what we really met, we were efficient. We like eliminated a lot, just like mess and complexity that doesn't need to exist there. Because I do think that the tendency is to just like keep on piling on, piling on and like not looking at what is it actually that you're trying to accomplish and just being really clear and then driving toward that like every single day to get it done. Um, So yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that um, kind of like why I wanted to launch it. And then I'm still in my very infancy phase, uh, but um, it's essentially like, an extension of the COO brain. So the things that fall under the COO, everything from talent to operation support to figuring out how do you develop or how do you like develop and um, execute teams, um, like the all of the like budgeting slash like I have to do HR compliance, like all the things that are just like piling up, um, especially for I think smaller organizations like mm-hmm. Collegiate would be a good example of like time of year. Um, and I just need that extension to kind of help me through that piece so that I can navigate the rest of the work. Um, so that's the design hoping that we'll, you know, uh, find a lot more folks who want to, um, partner along the way. Well, but I think it's um, a great resource. Like there were just so many times you think of where you're like, how do I, and it's interesting because I think you do for COOs, what I often do for CEOs, which is like, I know I need to get X done, but I do not have the time or space. And so right. I just like, outsource to this right hand to help me get this through. And I think that, you know, I know you're helping when Shannon's on maternity leave, you'll be doing some work for collegiate, right? Like, I think that's a great example or people, you know, on an intern basis, or can you take this project through? I think it's really helpful. So I'm excited to see where it goes. And I'm excited that we've been talking about this for a while. And so it's exciting to see it kind of come to fruition. So All right. Well, we're going to wrap up. Um, So if you enjoyed hearing these gems and reflections, please sign up for my newsletter. The link is on my website, which is www.bethnapleton.com or on Instagram and Facebook, because that's where I, I, for example, yesterday, there was a very exciting announcement in my podcast, which is in my, (laughs) in my newsletter, which is not yet public. And so, and if you are like, I really need to think about hiring, I need to revamp this. I need to think about this internal leadership development program. Any of the areas that Eric and I talked about today, the link is up to book a call. It's also on my website, Beth, B-E-T-H-N-A-P-L-E-T-O-N.com. 
Um, you can book an intro call complimentary and let's talk about possibly partnering on a consulting project. Um, so think about how do you make your organization more direct? How do you incorporate more accountability? How do you think about celebrating those wins or um, developing utility players or kind of working on this so that some of the wins we talked about today can become your wins? So Eric, it was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, thank you, Beth. I'm excited to talk again soon. Yeah. Okay, bye.